reading this morning comes from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 11. Judging others. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For the judgment you give will be the judgment you get. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Our next reading is from Profaning the Holy. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. And finally, ask, search, knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for bread, would give a stone? Or if the child asked for a fish, would give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? May the living words of God speak to us through these ancient words of scripture. Continuing our out of context sermon series, which focuses on commonly quoted Bible verses that are well known, but little understood in terms of their proper usage. The first week we talked about the verse stating that it was easier for a camel to travel through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And how that verse is often used to condemn the wealthy and why that is a misunderstanding of that verse. And then last week, we focused on perhaps the most famous Bible verse of all time, John 3.16, and how it's often used as a tool to divide those who believe and those who don't to decide who is in and who is out. This week, we will be focusing on the verse Matthew 7.7. 7 which states, ask and it will be given to you, search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. Or, as you may have heard the beginning alternatively translated and is perhaps the best known rendering, ask and you shall receive. This verse shares some interesting similarities to the other verses that we've focused on so far. Just as these other verses, the quote is actually something that Jesus directly said. Further, while our first focus verse about a camel passing through the eye of a needle is often used to condemn the wealthy, this verse is often used the opposite way. It's frequently cited as supporting that God will grant us whatever it is that we desire, with that frequently being some sort of material good or goods, or perhaps that wealth and prosperity are signs of God's favor, perhaps signs of goodness. Now, I'm sure that you're all familiar with the famous quote that is often said in reference to real estate, location, location, location. Well, 
When dealing with scripture, we should have a similar mantra, context, context, context. Devoid of context, any scripture can be plucked and used to justify virtually anything. And that is exactly the sort of wrong that we intend to make right with this sermon series. To reiterate what sorts of contexts we're discussing when we look at scripture, because there are several, there are four main contexts. We have the biblical context, which tells us where the verse falls within the grander scheme of scripture, including the verses surrounding it, the chapter that it's in, and the Bible as a whole. We have the historical and cultural context, which tells us what was going on at the time that the text was written and how someone would have heard it or understood it in the time period that it was written and how the specific culture that it was written to would have also influenced its understanding. The literary linguistic context, or how the verse is functioning as literature, and also how it might have been translated from its original language. And finally, the theological context, or what the verse tells us about the nature of God, about how God views us, and about how God wants us to think and live together. Now, upon first examination, the, Bible, the biblical context of our verse, Matthew 7, 7, may be kind of confusing, especially if we were only to reference the verses immediately around it. It would seem that Matthew 7, 1 through 6 has little, if anything, to do directly with the contents of Matthew 7 through, 7 through 11. We have coming before it um, descriptions of how we shouldn't judge others and how we shouldn't profane the holy. And then Matthew 7, 7 seems to almost shift entirely to something different, right? But what not unites these verses contextually is that they are all a part of the very famous Sermon on the Mount. The most well-known, perhaps, and well-quoted of the public directives given by Jesus. In the book of Matthew, we see five different discourses or speeches that Jesus delivers, each one focusing on some sort of different context, some sort of different topic. And the first of these is where our verses for this morning are located. But as I said, there are five, so four others come later, each covering a wide variety of topics that Jesus is giving us insight about. Historically, the Sermon on the Mount serves as an important tool for Jesus in establishing his teachings to his disciples. He knows that he will not be around forever, that there will soon be a day when his disciples will have to live without him, will have to go on without him, and that they will continue to face difficulties and even persecution. And so Jesus is establishing here and in these other discourses um, some important rules for the disciples to live by. And in addressing the disciples, he is also addressing crowds of people that would have been gathered too. Um, people who would have been perhaps more neutral. They weren't quite disciples or followers of Jesus, but they weren't outright hostile to him either. They were curious perhaps. There was room for them to be persuaded. And so 
Jesus is addressing the disciples directly, but these crowds are also listening in. So what then is the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount? Other verses from the Sermon on the Mount are very famous, such as the Beatitudes or the Blessings, such as Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world, or the parable of the builders, one of whom builds their house on rock, the other on sand, the parable of the salt and the light, and several others that are well-quoted and well-known. These all come from the same discourse in the book of Matthew that Jesus delivers. Now, it would have been a bit unwieldy to choose the entirety of the Sermon of the Mount as our scripture this morning, but that is the, the immediate biblical context of where Matthew 7, 7 falls. And these parables and these teachings, um, they, ser they serve as a sort of moral directive um, or command that Jesus is giving to us, right? We see, don't judge others hypocritically. Hold the holy in high regard and don't profane it. And then these verses sort of highlight what the intention behind verse 7-7 is. Like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, this is intended as a part of Jesus' description of what living life as a faithful Christian should look like, providing the audience listening at the time and the modern reader with understanding of what it means to live a life of Christian discipleship. And as we dive deeper into the significance of the text, this meaning is made clearer. Taking a look at verse 7 in its original Greek, we realize that these phrases, these phrases initially, are imperative, and they may better be translated to something like this. Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. And this meaning is made even clearer by a common early church transliteration of the middle of the verse, let the one who seeks not cease until he finds. And this changes the tone of the passage entirely because it suggests not some sort of lackadaisical once-off asking, but rather the need for continued work, continued effort on the part of the asker. So what then is it that we should be asking and searching for? Well, we see it reiterated in verse 11 that God will grant good things to us. And this follows an interesting comparison stating that any decent parent would provide their child with what they ask for. Jesus states, for example, that if a child asks their parents for bread, that the parent wouldn't give them a stone. And if they ask for a fish, the parent wouldn't give them a snake. And the verse goes on to say that even though human parents are quote-unquote evil, they, they still do these things, they still follow through, but how much greater is God, and thus how much greater is God's provision for us? Well, our perception of what a verse means is very directly impacted by translation, and this, this section this section makes it very clear. Um, the verse in our translation this morning, or the word that is translated as evil, 
um, has very specific connotations, but probably not what we might think of as evil meaning today. It probably means something closer to sinful or fallen. So this clarifies to us that Jesus isn't saying that human parents are evil, but rather highlighting the imperfect nature of humanity in comparison to God. And theologically thus, we can glean from these verses that God is indeed faithful in the provision of all that we need and does answer prayer, but not in the way that this verse is often understood to say. Now, one point illustrated by this, this interesting comparison between human parents providing for the physical needs of their children and God, the way that God provides for us in an infinitely greater way, is that it helps us to understand that God's provision for us transcends our current lives as we know them. God's care is situated both in the present, but also throughout eternity. So although we do trust God to answer our prayers, both to have our needs provided for now and for our immediate needs throughout time, we also trust that God is faithful to provide for us always in this world and in the world to come, or the afterlife, which we are promised. Thus, not only is God's provision not limited by time, but it's not only limited to physical things. So in seeking these good things, which Jesus is saying God will provide us, we're not just seeking that our physical needs should be met or that we should be granted some sort of material possession or wish, but that we will be granted the strength of spirit to uphold all of these teachings that Jesus shares with us. And how this verse functions then is to both assure us that we ought to rely on God and also to essentially confirm for us that we have to rely on God to live up to all of the other teachings that Jesus shares throughout the Sermon of the Mount and in general throughout the whole of Scripture. We cannot simply rely on our own strength, but we have to continually be in prayer, asking for renewal, if we hope to live up to what Jesus calls us to do here. Now, as I stated at the outset, this verse is frequently used to say that whatever we ask for, God will grant to us. And it's clear that this verse is about prayer, but rather than being about some sort of um, lackadaisical sitting back and asking God for something and then having it given to us, this verse actually emphasizes a very active component to what praying is. Prayer is not simply a one and done. It's something that is an ongoing process of renewal, of growth, and of trust. And living our life in a way that is pleasing to God is truly a prayer in and of itself. If we strive to live a good life, to do the things that God asks of us, then all that, all that we say may be offered up as a prayer. Now, in emphasizing our works, I don't mean to say that we have to do something to try to merit God's love or care, because that is simply a part of the grace that God extends to us. We get it whether we deserve it or not, and nothing that we ever do can really merit the full extent of God's care for us. But how much more impactful can our lives be 
if we seek to live out these teachings in cooperation with God. When we choose to live a Christian life, we are given these directives to guide us and asked to do our best with them, knowing that we are imperfect, we will fall short, but we still have to try. And we're not promised that this journey will be an easy one, but that it will always be a worthwhile one. And if we keep asking, keep searching, keep knocking, what we will ultimately find is that all of the good things that God has in store for us, which have been right in front of us all along. Amen.